Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. You know, Julie, we are in a new year. Mm-hmm. Essentially a new studio, whole new set of rules. And since it's new year, everybody is talking about uh, you know, what you're going to change, how this year is going to be different. Last year, we're just going to go ahead and write that one off. But this year, <laughs> 2014, this is the year it's going to happen. Or this is the year it's not going to happen, I swear. Okay, blank slate, folks. Yeah. How are you going to fill it in? What are you going to do? What are you going to change? Yeah, we have an artificial new start going on, <laughs> uh, virtue of the calendar. So, uh, so yeah, what, what does it take to change behavior? That's the, uh, the big question. And a lot of people have put in uh, their two cents on this. A lot of people have sold their two cents on this to uh, a public that is ever uh, interested in changing themselves for the better. Well, first of all, there's that three-week myth that persists, this idea that in order to change a habit or make a new one, all you need is 21 days, consecutive days, and boom, there you go. You are now going to be a Mandarin expert or <laughs> some other uh, jujitsu warrior of knowledge and something. Yeah, which of course is ridiculous when you pair it up with the with the other adage you hear a lot about uh, uh, ten thousand hours, isn't it? Uh, yes. Put ten thousand hours towards something, and you'll be you'll be you'll be great at it. Ten thousand hours, a good bit longer than twenty one days. But where does the twenty one days thing come from? Well, you you start trying to track it down, you kind of lose your path in the in the history. But it seems to have grown increasingly popular back in the nineteen seventies due to a self help book called Psycho Cybernetics. Which sounds like a good source. Who wouldn't trust uh, the bettering of their, uh, their 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 humanity to a book called Psycho Cybernetics uh, from the seventies? From the seventies, uh, which I'm just I haven't looked it up yet, but I can already imagine the, the cover to that book because I have looked I at some nineteen seventies books uh, on self help. Yeah, and, and again, that's uh, where this idea came from. This self help book said, "Hey, just twenty one days—that's all it takes." But as we are going to discuss, it's much more complex than that, and we'll get to an idea of what it takes in terms of days—a consecutive amount of time. But before we do that, let's talk about the habit loop and what's happening inside of our brains. New York Times business writer Charles Duhigg says habit loops—they contain three parts. Okay. Okay. First, there's a cue or a trigger that tells your brain to go into automatic mode and let a behavior unfold. Okay. Okay. Second, he says there's the routine, which is the behavior itself. And then the third step, he says, is the reward, something that your brain likes that helps it to remember that habit loop in the future. So like an example of this would be the trigger. Uh, what's setting this off is, oh, I feel kind of low energy in the afternoon. And then what should I do? All right, the automatic behavior is... I should go and have a soda. I'm going to have the, the big sugary grape soda. And then the reward is I feel at least a, a temporary boost uh, due to all that sugar in my body. Right. And if you keep doing that over and over again, eventually those cues, those environmental cues will start to work on you. You know, maybe it's three o'clock and you're tired and you mm-hmm. need that break. And you get that, you look at the clock and you see that's three o'clock and that becomes one of the cues that adds up in this database of 
and I want this soda. Yeah, it's time for the soda. The soda, time to, to press the hot key on soda behavior. Now, in part, we can trace habit making back to the basal ganglia, which also plays a key role in the development of emotions, memories, and pattern recognition. So decisions, meanwhile, though, they are made in the prefrontal cortex. And this is really interesting. As soon as a behavior becomes automatic, the decision-making part of your brain goes into a kind of sleep mode. Yeah, and, and in this, basal, the basal ganglia is essentially it takes the behavior and turns it into an automatic routine. It's essentially a hotkey, you know, like, like when you're using Photoshop or any other program, you have that hotkey, like, you know, it's all control, whatever. I used to have a, a bazillion of them memorized when I was using InDesign for a living. And uh, and so you just go into this automatic behavior of, all right, just push these these quick keys and it'll do some sort of automatic function on the page you're working on. Uh and we do that in our lives. We do that when we, yeah. as we're driving to work, as we're trying to navigate the hallways of our house without, uh, you know, busting our elbow on something. Well, and Durig says that it, there's a real um, boon to us when we do that, because in a sense, your brain starts working less and less. And he says the brain can almost completely shut down. And this is an advantage because it means that you have all of this mental activity that you can devote to something else. It's why you can listen to stuff to blow your mind. While walking to the bus station, while driving to work, or while doing, uh, you know, data entry in an Excel spreadsheet. Right. So, because all this has become habituated and wrote and routinized, and we need all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. We need this kind of predictability. But, of course, the problem becomes when we want to change that behavior. And he says that if you want to change it or create a new one, you have to game those three aspects. So you have to game that trigger or that cue and know that it could be boredom or that you're tired. And acknowledge that that is the reason, not just that it's 3 o'clock and it's time for that soda. You kind of have to break it down and kind of go slow-mo with your thinking. Um, he also said that you have to disrupt the routine. And the reward, you have to figure that out, too. You have to say, okay, fine, this might give me a temporary lift, but how gross am I going to feel a half hour later when all that sugar is sitting in my belly? Right. Um, and then he also said that you can replace that reward. So instead of having that soda, you could take a walk. Exactly, yeah. And this was really helpful to me when I quit drinking, actually, because I had noticed that between the hours of 6 and 8 p.m. at night, those were sort of my witching hours. Mm-hmm. And I would go and work out instead of reaching for a glass of wine. Uh, and that's replaced that reward for me. And it disrupted the routine. So it was really helpful. Yeah. I mean, he stresses the, that with a lot of things related to behavior, a lot of it is just realizing the patterns of behavior, being able to yeah. look in the mirror and, and be self-aware of what's going on. And you have to remember, we've talked about this a lot before, that these are neural pathways that once you uh, do this habit over and over again, they become really grooved in your brain. Yeah. Okay, so that is um, a pathway that's easy for those signals to trot upon. So if you do it less, then it becomes, the, you know, the strength of those pathways decreases. It will always be there because you created the pathway. Yeah, and, and ultimately, it's creating new behaviors, forging new pathways. It's easier, mm-hmm. getting, as opposed to getting rid of old ones. I mean, you can think of a think of it in terms of all right, you have a, a road between two cities, and what are you going to do? Are you going to shut down one road completely and then build another one? No, you're going to you're going to build an, an additional road, and then you're going to sort of then then that new road is going to replace the old one. If you just cut off the road, then how are we going to get where we're going? How am I going to deal with the, uh, the the trigger effect of needing that soda in the afternoon? I like that idea that there are parallel paths. Yeah. And that's how you replace the one after a while. And you kind of put those detour signs on the other one. It always exists with the detour signs. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the problems with uh, any sort of habit that you pick up again, a bad habit. 
is that as soon as you, you engage in that behavior, those pathways go, oh, I remember this road. I haven't taken it in a long time. And like you said, the environment is a big thing. I, like if I, if I, and I don't know why I chose the soda habit. I haven't actually had a soda in forever, but it's a good, good model because I know a lot of people have this temptation. Uh, so in this case, in this example, I'm drinking sodas in the office. So the office is the environment in which, uh, this behavior has become ingrained. Uh, so one thing that actually helps is stepping outside of the environment that, uh, that, that, uh, that makes this, uh, behavior acceptable. Now, changing your environment is not a cure-all. But it can disrupt uh, some some of that uh, that routine, and that's why going on a vacation mm-hmm. is often cited as a good example of a, of a time to to try to break away from a routine. And it's also why vacations are often really comforting because we're breaking away from a number of routines, even if they're not necessarily you know bad for us. Maybe they're just you know you're you're free from some of the change you weren't even aware of. Well, it's so much easier to slow down in that automated behavior, look at it and say, oh, why am I reaching for this? Why am I doing this? You're right, because you don't have those environmental triggers. Now, there is a a kind of average of days, at least in one study, that shows that there are certain habits that you can pick up, good habits, let's say, Mm -hmm. and 66 days... Now, this is the average of days that it took participants to have a behavior become automatic. This is a study led by Philippa Lally, and she's a psychologist at University College London. So we are talking about this length of time varying anywhere from 18 days to 254. 66 was just the average. And some habits, we're talking about drinking a bottle of water after lunch, turned out to be a lot stickier. It only took 59 days on yeah, average. because that's, I mean, how difficult is that? Yeah, you're just tipping the bottle. Yeah. But what about doing 50 sit-ups each morning? Much harder to do, yeah. 91 days. So other findings were that missing a single day did not reduce the chance of forming habits. That's good news. And a subgroup, it it turns out, took a lot longer than the others to form their habits. And this suggests that some people are habit resistant. Okay. And, of course, other types of habits may take much longer. They make, you know, 254 days. For instance, for me, the sit-ups, that would would be like 365 days for me. So what about you? What would be the easiest thing and the hardest thing? Like what would take you 18 days and what would take you... 254. Well, I guess uh, obviously something I enjoy doing. Um, uh, a lot of people who, who write uh, are aware of this 100 words a day thing where mm-hmm. the idea is, all right, your life is busy, but you really want to work on you know that novel or work on short stories or write a little poetry. So you just make sure you take out time, just carve just a sliver of time to do 100 words. Just you know, open up your, your Word document, you know, grab a notebook, 100 words, and then you can move on. So that would probably be easier for me just because... Obviously, the reward uh, the reward is also in doing it. It's something that I enjoy doing, and so that would be something that would be easy for me to do. And you already have a huge uh, writing muscle. Yeah, exactly. So exercising that. So that one would be an easy. Also, all I have to do is open a document or or grab a a pad. But uh, one would would be much harder, and one that I also would very much like to do would be uh, you know to do yoga on a much more regular basis these days. But for that, obviously, I've got to carve out a much larger piece of time, like. You know, at least 20 minutes, ideally like an hour. I need to either go to a, a, a space where I can do the yoga or find a space, both, uh, both physical and mental in which to do it, uh, every day or a few days a week. And it becomes increasingly complex. I read that if then statements help with this because a lot of times we'll say we want to do this, but mm-hmm. we find reasons not to do things. And the idea is that instead of finding those reasons not to do it, you say to yourself, if it's Monday and it's noon, 
and I have 30 minutes, I'm going to go to X space and do yoga. And that that becomes more of an action item in your huh. brain as opposed to a plan, really. Well, it's like a program, you know, because uh, yeah. it reminds me of, like the settings in email, if you've ever looked at that, where you can set things like mm-hmm. if this, then that, then X. So Yeah. It's like, and essentially, that's what we're talking about, reprogramming the self to incorporate new actions or to, uh, in some cases, eliminate other actions or choose one action over another. Of course, all of this requires self-control and willpower. And uh, we'll take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about this muscle of self-control that we can cultivate for ourselves. Okay, we're back, and we're going to talk about the role of self-control and willpower because, of course, you can't just have uh, this um, zen-like moment with your brain where you slow everything down and you examine how and why you're doing things. You also have to have the will to change that habit. Yes, and we've we've podcasted exclusively on will in some past episodes before, and it's a uh, it's a fascinating topic because it's like most things in life, it's not quite what you think it is when you actually stop and examine it. Mm-hmm. Uh, willpower is not a a set level. It's not like uh, you know playing Dungeons and Dragons where you you roll the dice and you have that that set number that uh, that you may modify with some uh, you know magical spells here and there. It's uh, it's something that that fluctuates throughout the day based on where we are, where our attention is at, what our diet consists of, what kind of uh, 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 stimuli we're exposed to. And the good news is that it, it is a behavior and not something that's hardwired, so it can be changed. In fact, in a 2000 meta study of self-control, Mark Moravin and Roy F. Baumeister, we've heard from him before, they set out to answer the question, does self-control resemble a muscle? And yes, they say, if willpower is like a muscle and muscles can get stronger over time with training, willpower similarly can be trained and strengthened. And they found this in that meta study. In addition, Australian researchers Megan Oten and Ken Chang looked at this question and they took a group of people through a customized two-month exercise program. What did they find? Well, of course, the people got stronger. Um, they developed more muscles. But they also found that their behaviors, their their self-control, their willpower changed uh, with the addition of the actual physical muscles. Yeah, th- this is pretty amazing. And they, they threw out the uh, example. There's like a, like a pebble in a lake. There's this ripple effect. You start instilling willpower into one area of your life. And it actually bleeds over into other areas of your life because the overall willpower level increases. I was thinking about this in the context of the the bit we found out about how a full bladder mm-hmm. can actually help with willpower, at least you know temporarily. Because if you have a full bladder, your brain is suppressing the the urge to pee on yourself, essentially, and as a result, it is suppressing everything else. So not just you overeating at the buffet, but controlling your bladder and perhaps not having a cigarette at that very moment. It's why drinking more water is is such a, a no-brainer for, uh, for for New Year's resolutions, because more water, good for your body. You're mostly water anyway, right? You can, you can line up all the health benefits there, but your bladder is going to be more full more of the time, thus allowing you to better suppress uh, other temptations in your life. There you go. 
And that's a tip right there, more yeah. water. All right, so let's talk about the specifics of the study. We're talking about, again, a two-month period in which the participants hit the gym three times a week. And before, during, and after the exercise, the group was tested on a visual task that measured willpower via distraction and thought suppression. Now, after two months, the error rate went down for the group from 23% to 12%. So in other words, they were able to not pay attention to those distractions, to be more focused, and they had that that decrease in their brain just sort of going willy-nilly about things. Yeah, and the crazy thing, too, is that when I first started reading this, I was thinking, all right, the the other areas are going to be affecting their life. It's going to be like, oh, well, they ate a little more broccoli or something easy like that. But no, the uh, the improvements they saw related to stuff like cigarette smoking, alcohol consumption, mm-hmm. healthy eating, exercise, and household chores. So, uh, I mean, the fact that uh, cigarettes and alcohol were also affected, things that you often think of as having uh, their talons a little deeper into the psyche yeah. um, to, to see to see those areas affected as well uh, by this ripple effect is really encouraging. Yeah, and the behavior was all over the place. It might be that someone missed appointments a lot, mm-hmm. in which case they found that a person went from missing an appointment every day to like once a week, or in the case of the cigarettes, uh, down from 14 cigarettes a day to just three. That is amazing. Yeah. All right, so coming back to the, the old idea that we talked about at the beginning of the, the episode, the idea that if I, if I apply X amount of time towards something, towards a new skill, a new discipline, a new subject, I can become an expert. I can make this my own. I can own this content. Possible you, or not possible? So yes and no. All right, because if you think about someone being a master of their universe, you typically think of like Ben Franklin or Leonardo da Vinci. These are people who were true polymaths who could attack new topics, consume them, and by habit, they could do this, right? Yeah. Um, Now, some people would say that that was the 1800s. The world was much smaller. There were fewer tomes to go through and become an expert. Now we have so much more knowledge, so it's a lot more difficult. And you could say that in some senses, our, our willpower, our ability to really concentrate has been diluted by all of this knowledge. But it remains that if you do something, namely repetition, that you can still learn new things, and you may even become an expert on you know that 10,000 hours that Malcolm Gladwell always talks about. That's a possibility in there, too. But if you just want to sort of pick up guitar or you know stop smoking, drinking, all of these things are available to you. You just need to document it and uh, repeat, wash, repeat. Yeah, make it, making a pattern of it, regularly consuming it, uh, be it a hundred words a day, be it, uh, guitar lessons, or be it, hey, here's a good one. You can listen to a new episode of Stuff to Blow Your Mind every day for a year. I think we have enough now. Oh dear. Yeah. Oh yeah, and you have to document it. This is the important part. Yes. And this is where we bring up Karen X. Chang, okay? She is kind of, the, I think, the best example of this kind of muscle flexing of self-control. Now, she not only was a program manager of Microsoft Excel, at the same time that she was doing this full-time job, she decided, oh, hey, I think I want to teach myself computer graphics. Mm-hmm. She did within a six-month period. And then she got a new job as a designer at Exec. This is a startup in San Francisco. Uh, along the way, she taught herself all sorts of things like guitar. And she began to realize that she had a process in place that could allow her to enjoy and explore all the things that she found fascinating. And she started a website called giveit100.com. And this 
is based on her own video that went viral. Some people may be uh, familiar with this, in which she taught herself to dance in a year. And every day she documented herself. Mm -hmm. And it's a great video because it starts out with her doing these sort of awkward popping locks like I'm doing right now, but you can't see. Yeah, And then she becomes this beautiful, fluid dancer after 365 days. So what what did she give it 100 of? Well, the idea is that 100, mm-hmm. 100 days is something that a person can sort of do like that, what she did, mm-hmm. although sort of 365 light, right? Yeah. So in other words, you pick a project, you document yourself every day, you upload a video. I think there's only like 10 to 15 seconds of the video that shows yes. on the site. But you can see real progress after a number of days. And that's one of the things that she says is really important in trying to learn something new or do something that you not just document it, you do it over and over again, but that you can see where you're going with this. Yeah, yeah. And so the YouTube uh, use of YouTube here achieves that, but also is a great d- documentation system. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if anybody's interested, I would say check that out. Um, personally, I, I'm playing around with the idea of doing that because I would love to conquer the accordion this oh, year. Oh, yes. Enough playing around with it, <laughs> pretending like I'm in some Parisian cafe entertaining folks and having their ears bleed. Well, what you need to do is is do it on your drive to work. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would work. Okay. I mean, because things are pretty automated when, when it comes to driving. Why not? You get you get one of those uh, those little, uh, little little cameras that go on the dashboard. Uh, you know, turn it your, uh, yourself. And uh-huh. then every morning as you drive to work, you're playing the accordion. I think that the lawyers of discovery.com <laughs> are going to love this. I think they will. I, that secretly they they will love it. Um, but but uh, I should also mention the 100 words a day thing I was talking about earlier. Uh, now I am remembering that in the the official uh, uh, prescribed version of that um, you are keeping track of your word count like you're saying yes I did. I did 150 yeah. today. I did a 200 uh, the day before and all that so that you you have some level of accountability. Uh, too, that's because presumably somebody is looking at your YouTube videos. Presumably somebody right. is looking at the you know the little ticker that you have at the bottom of your web page that says how many how many words you're uh, you're pumping out. Yeah, I don't know about uh, giveit100.com, but I do know the 100 words a day. If you don't write, they will send you an email, a little nasty gram, <laughs> saying, "Hey, you need to do this," which is always really helpful. And that's probably a good good uh, good bit of info for me though about all this is because I should if I'm going to do the 100 words a day I should maybe do the official version to where there's a little more accountability and it's not just oh I forgot for 3 weeks. Yeah, so I'm you know as I move through this year in 2014 and master the accordion and then make everybody's ears bleed how about in 6 months time should we say? 6 months, yeah. We we all meet back here in 6 months. I'll play for you guys. Um as I think about this I'm going to think about that habit loop. And those triggers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to think about my little basal ganglia. I'm going to ask it to back off. Well, although I might say, hey, you can go ahead and do this when I get really good and it becomes an automated behavior. But I'm also going to think about that repetition. And uh, we'll see after 66 days, too, where I land on this, if this becomes uh, pretty decent in terms of my ability to play. Uh, you know, real quick, I want to come back to Charles Duhigg, the author of The Power of, of Habit. Um, he also went, uh, talked about... Uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous a little bit, which mm-hmm. I found very interesting. He was talking about that with AA, there's no scientific basis behind it originally. 
at all. Like apparently there are twelve steps because mm-hmm. there are twelve apostles. So, so it's, it's it, a lot of, of 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 AA is wrapped up in this kind of uh, you know uh, appealing to a higher power to help you. Mm-hmm. But uh, what he says, what he points out is that, that AA of course really works and it's it has a, a great track record because it is essentially a big machine for changing habits around alcohol consumption uh, and, and it gives people a new routine. Uh, rather than going to a bar and drink or what have you, uh, and, and it's something that doesn't work when people do it on their own. So it's new routine, accountability. Uh, I found that interesting. And that is really interesting. And some people, uh, the 12-step program doesn't appeal to them mm-hmm. or it doesn't work for them, either because they're not sure about the philosophy behind it. Right. Um, but you're right. There are certain things uh, that, that do work in that program, and there are alternatives to AA, but they use the same sort of ideas of distraction, really, yeah. in creating new routines. Um, and to that end, I do have a quick email uh, let's see if Arnie can bring that on over. And this has to do with uh, our three years of word salad episode. This is from Brenda. She says, hi, Julian Robert. I just wanted to thank you for your confession, so to speak, on how the podcast has changed your life. Podcast about giving up alcohol. I didn't want to be presumptuous and imply any labels that you yourself did not apply. But what you said did resonate with me because my uncle went through something perhaps similar. I think a lot of people tend to view alcohol problems as almost kind of binary. Either you're in terrible shape and have a serious life-ruining problem, or there's no problem at all. In reality, though, it's much grayer. Now, she goes on to, to describe how people around her uncle actually doubted his need to quit drinking simply because he didn't fit a stereotype of an alcoholic or exhibit wild behavior. And she says, she ends by saying, I don't know if I'm reading too much into what you said. Maybe you didn't actually have anything problematic going on. You just didn't like the idea of what alcohol does as you learned more about it. I have another friend who has never had a drinking problem but doesn't drink simply because he doesn't like what it does to other people. But either way, thank you for sharing your situation. I hope it might help even one person to realize that one doesn't have to hit rock bottom to make a change like that. And that not drinking is just as valid a choice as drinking is. Yeah. So thanks, Brenda. That was really, uh, I think, a very helpful email because uh, you're right. I was playing it safe in that episode and not labeling myself because, you know, not drinking is still something that I'm turning around in my head and trying to figure out for myself. But I think you make an excellent point that a lot of people feel like it is a black and white issue and it is not. Um, and just being able to explore that as a gray idea is one of the reasons I could get to the point where I could stop drinking alcohol in the first place. Because for many years, I had defined that as a black and white issue, and it really hindered my ability to to get where I needed to be in terms of breaking habits. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, hopefully, this podcast will serve as uh, you know, kind of a pep talk, a little dose of enthusiasm for whatever you are deciding to change or uh, or tweak this year in 2014. So, as you uh, continue, as you uh, go on this journey, uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, your thoughts on the application of this information towards your uh, particular issue, uh, your thoughts just on the information in general. You can find us at all the normal places. StuffToBlowYourMind.com is the mothership. That's the main page. Go there. If you've never been there before, go to it. Go check it out. All the podcast episodes are there. All the blog uh, posts are there. We have the videos. We have links out to our various social uh, media outlets and other web pages we use. You know, stuff like Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, SoundCloud, you name it. Um, and if you want to try a more old-fashioned method of getting in touch with us, uh, Julie, what can they do? You take out this keyboard thing. Okay. Okay. And you find an email program, and then in the to field, you simply put below the mind at discovery.com 
and let us know what you're thinking. And, uh, hey, if you guys actually have any episode requests, let us know there, too. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Yeah.